In a previous study on God, we talked about the fact that God is truly incomprehensible. There are things that we can know about God, but if we were to take one quality, and if we were to study that quality for our entire lifetime, we would never exhaust it. We would never fully plumb who and what God is regarding that one quality. Tonight, we want to explore three of God's attributes. Sometimes people divide these up as far as lessons. I want to see if we can combine them. And these all are tied together by the word omni. That is how the word begins. We're dealing with God's omniscience, God's omnipresence, and God's omnipotence. When we look at that prefix omni, O-M-N-I, that simply means all. When we talk about God being omniscient, we mean that he knows all. When we talk about God being omnipresent, we mean that he is present in all places and at all times. When we say that God is omnipotent, we mean that he is all-powerful. When it comes to mankind, most people have an interest in learning about at least some things. When we think about the field of science, that, of course, is an area of life where people try to gain knowledge. There are other studies where people are involved with research. People are so interested in knowledge sometimes that they will consult something like or someone like a fortune teller to learn the future. We find that people are interested in knowing the future when it comes to who's going to win a big event like the Super Bowl or maybe a big race. Movies and books have been created about superheroes that have special insight, special knowledge. We think, for example, about Superman. He has, of course, the x-ray vision. Men can know a lot of things. But as much as we can know, as much as we can learn, it is impossible for us to know all things. When we deal with God, we are dealing with a being who literally has all knowledge. God knows things, and we would say he knows all things. God has never had to go to school to learn anything. God has never had to watch the news to get informed about something. He's never had to read a book. He's never had to ask a single question to get knowledge. There has never been a time where God has had to wait and work to figure something out. Not one time has God ever been told how to do something. He has never had to gradually learn something. God, with his omniscience, he simply knows that knowledge is part of who he is. There is nothing good. There is nothing bad. There is no person who can hide from God. God is also someone who does not, if you will, forget anything. We all forget at times. Maybe we forget a little. Maybe we are very forgetful, but God never forgets. Now, someone says, well, what about that forgiveness that God offers? Does not God forget? Well, when God forgives, he forgets in the sense that he does not hold anything against someone. It is forgiven. It is true. It is right to say that God forgives sin, and he does forget it in the sense that I just mentioned, but he still knows about it. And we know that he still knows about it because of what we find in Scripture. There are a number of passages in the Bible where we have information about God, and God is pictured as forgiving a sin. And yet, even though God forgave the sin, think about David and his incident with Bathsheba, that's still in the Bible. And God certainly knows what is in his word. So God does have that knowledge. As we think about God and his knowledge, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 comes to mind. The writer said, there is no creature... There is not a single creature that is not manifest or clear in his sight, but all things are naked and laid open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, most don't have too much difficulty when it comes to God knowing about all things when it comes to the past. But what about the future? Does the God of the Bible really know all the things that are going to happen as far as the future? Scripture tells us yes, and it tells us yes in multiple ways. For example, when we look at the Old Testament, it has a number of prophecies. A prophecy, of course, is by and large a prediction of some future event. God said this is going to happen, and sometimes he even gave us a time period. When we think about Jesus, as far as the prophecies that are associated with Christ, there are literally hundreds of prophecies. 
The odds of making guesses that would turn out to be correct are beyond astronomical. And God, on every occasion where a prophecy was made, was exactly correct when it came to Jesus. For God, the future is just like the past. It is all laid out before him. God recognizes what we refer to as time, but he is above time. As an eternal being, God operates outside of time. When Jesus came to the earth, one of the things he apparently thought was important was to tell people about God, to give people insight about the nature of God. And on one occasion, Jesus made this point about deity. He says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8, Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knows. God has this knowledge, Jesus says. He knows what things ye have need of before you ask him. He was talking about prayer and he said, before we pray, God knows about our needs. He knows what we're going to ask. There is not a single prayer that we can utter. There's not something that we can somehow come up with that is so deep and so dark and so uh, recessed that it will somehow come as a surprise to God. God is never going to be caught by surprise when we come before his throne. I don't know about you, but I find that to be encouraging. There are things which come up in our lives which may be a surprise. There are things which we may not expect, and they are distressing. Perhaps they're upsetting, and we're thinking, I sure did not see that coming. That never happens when it comes to God. When God was challenging the idolatry in the time of Isaiah, one of his challenges, one of his specific challenges involved the idols. God said, let the idols be brought forward. And after they're brought forward, God said, let them declare the future. Isaiah chapter 41, verses 22 and 23. This was something that God thought was important as far as knowledge. If these uh, idols are God, if these idols are truly deity, then let them declare the things that are to come. God was confident that that would be a problem for them, but not for him. Because God knows the past, he knows the present, he knows the future, and all the details. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 147 and verse 5, Scripture says, Great is our Lord and mighty is his power. His understanding. Here again is the idea of knowledge. God's understanding is infinite. Job chapter 37 and verse 16, that's also on the slide. You see there that God's knowledge is perfect. That's what that verse says. We see this represented sometimes with the if statements in Scripture. There were times where Jesus said, If this had happened, then this would have been the consequence of that. How would Jesus know? I mean, for us, we might say sometimes, if this had happened, if I had just been two seconds earlier or two seconds later, this would have happened. Well, very likely that's true. But we don't know that for sure. But Jesus made that statement, and you can find that same kind of thing in the Old Testament. If this had happened, if things had been different, then God says this would have been the outcome. How can you have that hypothetical knowledge? Well, you can't unless you are God. God's knowledge is so great that it even includes the number of hairs in our head. Jesus made that point in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 30. Imagine serving a God. Imagine being a child of God who never needs to learn anything as her life progresses on the earth. Imagine serving a God who does not know the future. Imagine serving a God who does not know all the things in the universe. I don't know about you, but serving that kind of God is not too comforting to me. I would not want to serve a God who, as my life progresses, he's trying to figure things out. He's trying to get an understanding of things. He's trying to figure out, will it go this way or will it go this way? That does not give me a lot of comfort. Now, someone says, well, on the other hand, it's a little frightening to me to think about being involved with a God who knows everything about everybody. And we can understand that. But if we are going to be accountable to God, and that's what Scripture affirms, then having a God who is omniscient really should be a great comfort to us because there will never be something that surprises him. 
This should also be an incentive for us to live the Christian life. We should see this attribute as one of uh, comfort versus concern. A long time ago, there was a woman by the name of Hannah. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 3, she said, For Jehovah is a God of knowledge. When we think about the God of the Bible, that's who and what he is. He is a God of knowledge. Well, along with knowing all things about everything, God is also present in all places at all times. This is God's omnipresence. Turning now to John chapter 4 and verse 24. Trying to envision a God who knows everything about everything is hard to grasp. It is a difficult concept. But as difficult as that is, we have now a quality which is perhaps even a little more difficult to understand. And that is, as we think about God's presence, he is in all places at all times. Now, as human beings, that's difficult for us because we can only be in one place at one time. Perhaps you've had the experience on multiple occasions where something was happening over here and you needed to be here, and there was something that was happening over here and you needed to be there, and you said, I can't be in two places at once. And that was true. There are times where attention is divided and we simply cannot be in two places at once. Someone says, well, how can God possibly be in all places and at all times? Well, thankfully, as Jesus was on the earth, again, he gives at times some insights about God's knowledge. And thankfully, he also gave some insight as far as God's omnipresence. In John chapter 4 and verse 24, he tells us that God is spirit. Here is some information about the nature of God. As a spirit being, God is not bound. He is not limited by the confinements that we have in our physical body. Now, I know that there are some people who, when they see the word spirit, they think ghost or they think some something else that's contrary to scripture. Spirit in John 4.24 simply means that God is not a material being. He's not encased in some kind of shell like we are. For us, people ask where we are, and we are able to give them a specific location. I'm at the house, or I'm at work, or I'm at school, or I am somewhere else. We can take God's omnipresence, and we can combine that with his omniscience. If God knows all things, it would then be quite logical, quite reasonable for him to also be in all places. Being in all places at all times and having all knowledge about everything is an incredible thought. If I asked right now for the people who are here, what's the weather like in Argentina right now? I think most of us would probably say, I have absolutely no clue. I can grab my phone and I can check that out and I can give you an answer in less than a minute, but I have no idea what the weather is like in Argentina right now. But you know, God knows. If we were able to direct a question to God right now, he'd be able to pop off an answer just like that. And it's not just someplace on the earth. If we were to ask God, let's take a star, let's take a specific star, or let's take all the stars. Let's make the illustration that great. If we were able to ask God, let's take every star and give me a weather report on every single star or every single planet, God could answer that. Impossible for us. Almost incomprehensible for us. But God knows down to the most minute detail. If we wanted to know the weight or the composition of a planet or a star or all the planets and all the stars, God again would know. He knows every single fact down to the smallest detail. We could go to the highest heaven, we could go to the lowest ocean and God would never be stumped. Now David was a smart man. And there was a time in David's life when he reflected on these qualities of God. We know that because of Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8. Now, this is a great psalm. We have just a small section here. And David asked this question. He said, where shall I go from thy spirit? He was thinking about God's omnipresence. Or, whither shall I flee from thy presence? Jonah tried that, didn't he? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. 
if I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. David knew that if he was alive or dead, God's presence would always be with him. It would always be there. God is here. God is there. God is everywhere. Don't know if you've ever considered this or not, but have you ever thought about the fact that the devil is not omnipresent? Can you imagine what the Christian life would be like if the devil were present in all places and at all times like God? I suggest that if that were true, our lives would be very, very different. They would be extremely difficult if the devil had that presence. And if the devil had the knowledge of God, Satan is not always present in our lives, doesn't have the kind of knowledge that God does. The unsaved, as we think about God, they are also in the presence of God. They may hate him. They may revile him. Non-Christians may not want anything to do with God. But God always knows about the unsaved, every single thing about them. And his presence is always there, knowing what they're doing, knowing what they're thinking. I don't have much experience with idolatry, but I suspect that people like idols because an idol gives them something physical. It's something that they can look at. It's something that they can hold. It's something that they can physically appreciate. But God, the God of the Bible, even though there is no physical um, expression as far as dealing with him like idolatry offers so much more. In fact, this is what God says to people. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, not long before Jesus returned to heaven, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, Jesus said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you always. And that's true. John, many years later, wrote the book of Revelation, and in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 13, he pictures Jesus as being among his congregations, walking among the candlesticks. God, as we go through the best times of our life, and all of us have good times, all of us have great times, God is there with us every single time. As we go through the deepest and the darkest, the worst times of our life, and we all have those times, God is with us as well. If we're present on the earth, God is with us. If we're below the waves of the ocean, God is there. There's no barrier with water. If we make it into the air with a plane or we make it into outer space, he's still there. God is present when people do good deeds, the smallest deeds. And he's there when people do wicked deeds, from deeds which are not especially vile to the worst offenders. 24-7, 365 days a year, God is present in all places at all times and has all knowledge. God can be ignored, but he cannot be avoided. He's not affected by time or space. For a Christian, this should be very, very encouraging. The Hebrew writer said in 13 and verse 5, Be ye free from the love of money, content with such things as ye have. For himself has said, I will in no wise fail thee, neither will I in any wise forsake thee. That is from the omnipresent and the omniscient God. Well, if God knows all, and it's also true that God is in all places and at all times, someone says it would then make sense for me to at least consider whether or not the God of the Bible is all-powerful. And he is. Let's take a look at our next slide. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Here's how the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This verse gives us just a small glimpse as far as the power of God. Everything that exists in the universe has come into existence by God. Now, as we think about mankind, we can create. And we can create all kinds of stuff. People say, well, look what I built. Look what I made. Look what I created. And men have certainly created some great things. Even when you start looking at Bible times, people have created some magnificent monuments and other items. But you know, something is always true when it comes to man's creation. We create and we form and fashion out of existing material. 
Someone says, well, let me go and get some construction material and see what I can build. Or someone says, we're going to use some raw material and look at what we can create from that. And then somebody else will pick it up and do some great things. Well, God created. But God created everything that exists out of nothing. And let that sink in as far as God's omnipotence. How would you like to be tasked with creating a star out of nothing? Not me. How would you like to be told, I want you to create all the planets out of nothing? If we had all the stuff to do it, that would be hard enough. How was water? How were animals? And how was man created when nothing but God? And perhaps the angels existed. When we get a good picture of the Bible, we find several glimpses, several snapshots of God's power. We see his power in the land of Egypt with the plagues. Amazing power. We see God providing for people in uh, the wilderness as Israel is out there, probably a million plus people for many, many years. We see God's power in the New Testament, and that includes raising the dead, several supernatural signs. Now, some, as they think about God's power, they, they don't like God. They don't like the concept of God. They don't like what Scripture says, so they try to create some logical contradictions. People will sometimes say, well, could God make a piece of paper so flat that it has only one side? Is your God that powerful? Or there would be some others who might ask, could God make a copy of himself? If he's all-powerful, could he do that? Well, questions like this are not really questions about God's power. They're questions that involve a logical contradiction. God, of course, cannot create a God like himself because he is not created. God can't do whatever a logical contradiction involves, but he does have all power. The world, as you look at it, it can marshal itself, and it sometimes has marshaled itself against God. There have been multiple nations in human history who have decided to be anti-God, and they have done some serious damage to Christians. You have a New Testament example of this in the book of Revelation. Look at Revelation chapter 13 and verse 3. John says, And I saw one of his heads, as though it had been smitten unto death, and his death stroke was healed, and the whole earth wondered after the beast. That was John's assessment 2,000 years ago. Rome was so powerful, it looked like the whole world had gone after ancient Rome. If you were to read one more verse in Revelation 13 and verse 4, the text says the people who wandered after the beast or Rome, they worshipped the dragon. And they said, who is like unto the beast? And who is able to war with him? There were Christians who were living under Roman persecution, and as they saw the power of the Roman emperors, it looked like Caesar was God. The Caesars were sometimes referred to as Lord and God. And that's how they acted. They had the power of life. They had the power of death. They could take your job. They could cut off your food. They could make life very, very miserable. And they could take your lives. It was in that culture that John writes to these people. He begins in Revelation chapter 1 as far as talking about Jesus. He's on the throne. He is the one who has great authority. He's walking among his people. And John tells his readers, look, God is on the throne. You need to remember that God is omnipotent. It was God, not Rome, who truly had the power. It was God who was the one who was not going to be overcome. As we live our lives, and certainly as we look at some of the things happening in our culture right now, these three omnis are extremely important. We serve a God who knows all things. Someone says, well, I'm worried about the next presidential election. Who's it going to be? Is it going to be him or her or them? Who's it going to be? God knows. Well, what about America? It looks like we have a lot of problems. We do. But the God of the Bible knows the fate, the future fate of our nation. What about my life? God, I'm concerned about this and I'm concerned about that. And there are all these things that might take place. God says, I know. I've got it under control. There is not a single thing in life that will ever come up which will be a surprise to God. 
We, if we're a Christian, serve a God who is literally in all places and at all times. From the largest community down to the smallest town. From the most well-lit room down to the dimmest street. There is no place where God is not. Any place we ever are as a Christian, God is there. He's always going to be there as you promised in Matthew chapter 28. Whatever struggles we have as a Christian, God says, I know and I'll be with you. Someone summed up the three qualities of God that we're looking at tonight in this way. He knows what need to be done. He, what, he knows what needs to be done. I want that kind of God. That is God's omniscience. He has the power to do it. I want that kind of God. That's his omnipotence. Number three, he's always wherever he needs to be to do whatever needs to be done. And that's omnipresence. If you are a Christian, you serve the most wonderful God, the most amazing God. And here is a three-part snapshot tonight of who and what that God is. Serve him. Serve him faithfully. Serve him all your days. Because he is who the Bible is. And truly, far more glorious than we can ever imagine. Tonight, if you're someone who is struggling in your Christian life, we'd like to encourage you to think about the omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent God. And leave this assembly encouraged and strengthened because of your God. If you have not yet become a Christian, this God says to you, I love you, and I want you to be my child. I want you to know about me. That's why I gave my word. And tonight, if you have at least a basic knowledge of who he is, with that faith, if there's that desire to live according to his will, that's repentance. If you confess his name and be baptized, you can be one of his people and live under the protection and sheltering wing of this special being. Tonight, do you know God? And are you allowing him to work in your life? If not, and we can help you change that, we'd like to do that and do that now as we stand and sing.